0: When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com app. Tonight on The Readout...
1: But a week after a mass shooting plagued our community, the most direct action this legislative body takes, or should I say my colleagues on the other side of the aisle are taking, is to expel us for speaking about the issues of weapons of war on our streets.
2: As protests raged outside the Tennessee House chamber, Republicans carry out their despicable act of expelling that Democratic legislator who wanted nothing more than to protect children from being murdered at school, something Republicans refuse to do. Now expelled, State Representative Justin Jones, who you just saw, joins me moments from now. And we begin tonight with an unprecedented and, frankly, shameful day in American politics. The Tennessee House took up resolutions to expel three Democratic lawmakers, not for breaking any laws, mind you. They moved to expel these members for standing in the well of the chamber despite being ruled out of order by the Speaker and attempting to speak loudly against gun violence and against children being shot dead in schools, something that literally just happened weeks ago in Nashville. These three members were standing in alliance with gun reform supporters, including hundreds of students who packed the gallery, hoping, hoping and praying that the legislature would take up a gun reform plan. Instead, this was the plan, to expel the members who stood up for gun reform. One state representative, Justin Jones, was expelled this afternoon. While late today, State Representative Gloria Johnson survived expulsion by one vote. A third lawmaker, Justin Pearson, still faces a vote at this hour. Republicans likened the actions of these three lawmakers to the January 6th insurrectionists. Here are the three Democrats arriving at the Tennessee Capitol this morning. They are now referred to as the Tennessee Three. Their call for gun safety legislation comes in the wake of that school shooting in Nashville, when three children and three caregivers were gunned down at their school, minutes from the state capitol. Chants from protesters were audible throughout the session today, both inside and outside the chamber, by young people, some of whom can't even vote yet, but who are demanding action on the astronomical increase in gun violence at schools. Hundreds of advocates, students, young people, and parents gathered this morning, as they have been every day since the shooting, in what is literally a fight for their lives, staging walkouts, marching to the Capitol, flooding the State House to channel their terror into action. A burden this country continuously places on these very young shoulders, while Republicans focus instead on the extremely rare, extraordinary, an anti-democratic action to silence their opponents. One of the Tennessee Three, Gloria Johnson, a former school teacher, took to the floor ahead of the expulsion vote that she barely survived.
3: Respect
2: the human dignity of every citizen in the state of Tennessee, and not just the ones that look like you, and not just the ones that agree with you. We've done so much damage up here to vulnerable communities this year. And now we're doing damage by not addressing the concerns of the families and the children. But it was Justin Jones who represents the district in Nashville where last month's shooting took place, who was ultimately expelled. And here's what he had to say moments before the vote.
1: We shall not bow. That is what I say to the House Speaker, that we shall not bow. Because what is disorderly is a body that has used voter suppression and rigged maps to take control of our state. What is disorderly is a body that silenced the voices of Nashville at the congressional level, at the city council level, now trying to remove us at the legislative level. That is disorderly to democracy. That is disruptive to what we have an obligation to uphold.
2: And joining me now is State Representative Justin Jones of Nashville. And uh, Representative Jones, um, I, I watched this, I spent the day watching this, watching what was happening with this hearing and watching you. And you were extraordinary, by the way. Um, but but it, what I found really remarkable was how small and mundane the arguments were to expel you. You were talking about the idea that you weren't there to make friends or to bow down to your colleagues on the other side. And they were talking about decorum and the rules of order. I want to show an image of what happened on the day in question. This was what, if we could put it up, this is what was happening on the floor when the three of you went to the well of the, of the chamber. And I think it's important for you to explain what happened and why you all went to the floor.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Reed. Um, we went to the floor because multiple times we were silenced from talking about the crisis of gun violence that the thousands of young people out here were demanding that we act on. I'm the youngest black lawmaker out in the formerly was the youngest black lawmaker in the state of Tennessee, represented one of the most diverse districts. And so I went to the well to speak for my constituents, particularly those young people whose voices were not being heard by this body. that is so beholden to the NRA that they would not listen to, the, to these young people who are saying that our lives. We want to feel safe in school. We want to ban assault weapons. And rather than ban assault weapons, these Republican lawmakers in Tennessee are assaulting democracy.
2: And just to be clear... Today, uh, Gloria Johnson, um, who, who did end up surviving her the expulsion attempt, she made the point, and I, and you made the point as well, that today what we all watched, as we all watched, I watched it online and those who were able to see it on air, what we saw, she said, and I think you indicated, was not the way that that House chamber normally operates, that everyone getting to speak, everyone getting five minutes, everyone getting a chance to say their piece you're, you can you explain is is that the way it normally goes under this speaker and in that in that house
1: i mean this the, the nation was the world was watching tennessee which is why they were on their best behavior but even under their best behavior you saw the disdain the 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 arrogance um you know the the the, the Basically, I had a member on the floor call me an uppity Negro. I mean, this is the, this is the behavior of our body. And so even with the nation watch, watching them, even with the world watching them, you see the assault of democracy that happened. And, and the most extreme example was uh, my expulsion, because it's, what it's doing, it's not about me, but it's about the 78,000 people I represent, these young people, these, you know, one of the most diverse dictators being silenced because they're upset that it is, we don't fall in line to their narrative of what Tennessee should be. You know, and well, that is a multiracial democracy.
2: Indeed. One of the some of the most extraordinary moments you had one member, the only non-white member in the House majority lecturing you. Um, he's Indian American to say you should be happy to be there and you should just join with us and essentially behave yourself. Um, there were uh, as another member that you uh, alleged um, it said to you that you are a disgrace and essentially called you uppity, but then wouldn't do it when you put your phone up and said, say that again on camera. And I believe he might have been one of the sponsors of this resolution. What's the atmosphere like being uh, a 27 year old, both you, the two Justins are both 27 being a young black legislator in that body. What is it normally like for you all?
1: I mean, this is a very hostile environment, but more importantly, it's hostile to democracy. And so what you see in there, they're saying, you should feel grateful to be here. But they didn't put me here. The people of my district put me here. And that's what they were trying to undo. And from the time I walked in in January, this, I was made to feel like it's, I should not be welcome here because I led protests here. I was arrested in this building over 14 times trying to remove a KKK statue that we finally removed from this rotunda where we're standing. And so my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, um, from the day I walked in, did not want me here. And today, they, they, they overturned a democracy. They they set a very dangerous precedent for the nation of expelling a duly elected lawmaker because of First Amendment activity. Um, this has never happened in Tennessee history. It's never happened, um, you know, in, in, in any of the examples of expulsions that I gave my colleagues on the floor, which included unethical and criminal behavior, there's only been three expulsions from the House in Tennessee history in our 200, over 200 years. And so today they set a precedent that, you know, being the first lawmaker, the first young, you know, young black lawmaker expelled for speaking for my d- constituents and doing my job as a representative.
2: I, I don't know if we have your piece, but I'll, I'll probably play it later. But you, you talked about, I mean, someone has peed in the seat of another member and not been expelled. There have been people accused of sexual assault, serial sexual assault in that chamber, um, you know, crimes, <laughs> you know, and it seems that the one thing that this legislature cannot stand, it cannot stomach, uh, are young black lawmakers who speak for their constituents. Can you talk about the protesters? You were speaking for them and there were a lot of protesters outside on the day in question, the day that you went down with that bullhorn and were trying to have your say, because as you said, you couldn't. What did those young protesters want? What were they saying? What were they chanting? What did they want you to do?
1: I mean, there were thousands of young people. These are the largest protests that we've seen in Nashville in over a decade. And it it is so shameful. It's morally insane that a week after a mass shooting impacted my community, I represent a part of Nashville. um, Here in Nashville, we had a mass shooting at Covenant Elementary. And my colleague's first response is not to pass common sense gun laws, but to expel lawmakers for standing with our constituents, to expel me for being a voice for my district. And particularly these young people who are gathered here begging a sack. Many of those young people can't even vote yet, but but they will vote one day. But they're... No matter if they can vote or not right now because they're young, they, they have a right to be heard. And more importantly, they have a right to feel safe in their schools, free from the terror of, of mass shootings and this proliferation of weapons of war on our streets in Tennessee.
2: Uh, President Biden has responded uh, to what happened. I don't think I have it in front of me, but what would you like to see at a national level? I mean, I, I think that this I think the, the country, those who care about there it is, these kids and uh, these officials gunned down in yet another mass shooting. And what do the GOP officials focus on punishing lawmakers who join thousands of peaceful protesters calling for action? This is a state issue. They can make their own rules in the state house, But at a national level, what would you want to see the response being? And what are your constituents, the people who like to do what what do you think that they would like to see
1: this is a very dangerous precedent for the nation, and so we we hope that the nation will continue to see what's what's going on here and, and, and support what's happening in Tennessee. Because if you didn't tell me this was happening to me, I would think it was 1963 instead of 2020 um, 2023. Because what we're seeing is, is a predominantly white supermajority undoing democracy, forcing their will on my district, which is a predominantly um, black and brown district, one of the most diverse in Tennessee. And so we see a direct assault on democracy, on our right to free expression, on our right to representation. And so we hope that, you know, the, the nation w- will come. The Department of Justice may need to look at this. I know I've been speaking to counsel, and we're going to look at, you know, what are our next steps legally, because I do believe that's unconstitutional. I do believe it's a, it's a violation of the rights of not just me, but of my of my constituents, of the people I represented. And that's the most important thing, is that I did not go to that well in my individual capacity. I went there as a representative of 78,000 Tennesseans whose voices are now silenced because they expelled me and left that seat without a representative.
2: What do you do next? Because you said, uh, it, you know, it was very eloquently said. You said, if you kick me out of here, I'm going to be right back outside with my people, with those protesters who are demanding gun reform. What is your next step? Because my understanding is you could in theory run for the seat again. One of the Republican lawmakers, I I think trying to think it made it make sense, saying, well, you could run again and we couldn't expel him again for the same thing. You could run again. um, But do you understand like sort of what happens now? Could the um, district, or could you know the, the city council or the council in your district appoint a, a, a replacement for you? Um, does that have to be a Democrat? What do you think happens next, and do you want to run for this seat again?
1: Again, this is such unprecedented territory for Tennessee, but there is a process um, of filling the vacancy um, that, you know, I've, I've spoken to some people about. I know I'm looking at legal venues. I don't know what's the next step for me personally. I mean, what they did was shocking and it should shock the nation. Um, but like I said, I'm going to be out here with the people who continue to demand common sense gun laws, will continue to hold the supermajority accountable. And whether I'm inside the chamber, outside the chamber, I will stand with the people of Tennessee because what happened today is, is, is a very dangerous step. In
2: Tennessee. And lastly, I have to I have to let you go. Um, I, I, we hear all that booing. We can see the other Justin Justin Pearson, uh, who is on the dais right now. Are you three going to stick together? We did see Representative Gloria Johnson survive the vote by one vote. Um, are you three there? You're being called the Tennessee Three. Uh, are you all going to stick together on this? Because she survived it. She's still in the chamber.
1: I mean. We are united. We are the Tennessee Three. We, we, you know, we're intergenerational, multiracial. We stand together. They may try and divide and conquer, us, but we know that when they when they went after one of us, they went after all of us. And we stand united in the in the state. Um, we are, you know, some of the most progressive voices in our legislature. Uh, I was, and, and we will continue to voice those issues because that's what it's about. It's about a, a advancing a narrative of Tennessee that it, that is not this this madness that we saw today. That is not the system of white supremacy. But it's about, about multiracial democracy and human rights and uplifting the voices of these young people who will transform this state and, and make sure that, that this is not the ultimate say. But that there is there is there is a reckoning coming with these young people you are doing out here. Take take back control from these extremists who've hijacked the legislature who've hijacked the people's house and so we'll continue to push forward together and not take one step back there is
2: a reckoning happening you have you have not said a lie there is a reckoning happening and it's your generation that is forcing it so do not stop this country needs change and y'all are the generation who can get it i want to thank former now, now former tennessee state representative justin jones Thank you, thank you, thank you. And please keep in touch with us. I also want to thank Priscilla Thompson, our wonderful uh, reporter who's been on hand all day and who helped us make sure that that interview happened. Uh, We were going to also have Representative Gloria Johnson on, who's still a representative. She had to go back into the chamber just to explain sort of all the logistics and take you behind the scenes. We do have much more on this major developing story in Tennessee when the readout continues after this quick break. (music)
3: and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future.
1: My prayer to you is that even if you expel me, that you still act to address the crisis of mass shootings. Because if I'm expelled from here, I'll be back out there with the people every week demanding that you act. If you expel me, I'll continue to show up because this issue is too important. I talked to, to too many students and mothers in tears this week who said, thank you for doing something, colleagues. The world is watching.
2: We are back with more on the attack on democracy happening right before our eyes today in Tennessee. Joining me now is Reverend Mark Thompson, civil rights and human rights activist and host of the Make It Plain podcast. And Brittany Packnett Cunningham, MSNBC political analyst and host of the Undistracted podcast. Thank you, friends, for being here. And Mark, I do want to start with you. You were in that chamber. Um, give us a sense of the atmosphere inside and out today.
4: Uh, it's been incredible. And first of all, thanks for having me. Joy. Good to see you, Brittany. Um, it's, as you saw in the background, when we just heard from my brother, Justin, He was just upstairs from me. I came down so I could hear, uh, I'm one level below, but thunderous noise and it's still ongoing and it's going to continue uh, to go on people outside in the streets. This has been an incredible day. Um, uh, it, it's really been quite a day. And I know, uh, Gloria Johnson survived. We're thankful for that. We'll see what happens with Justin Pearson. But for these um, Republicans in Tennessee to do this, and for them to be so evangelical and as Bible thumping as they are, to not realize the irony in trying to expel three today on the eve of the day when tomorrow, when three were crucified, um, simply for standing up for what is right and trying to end gun violence in this country. Very, very proud of Justin. He's a generation behind me, but we came up in the same church, Clark Memorial United Methodist with James Lawson, Charles John Lewis and Diane Nash and Bernard Lafayette and Marion Barry, nonviolence for the Nashville City movement. So Justin is really following in the footsteps of those great people. And I couldn't be, uh, I couldn't be prouder of my young brother.
2: And, you know, Brittany, one of the things that I, that I definitely noted was a generational t- difference, right, um, in, in, this, in this state. Uh, that was the, the state that, where the Klan was founded. Um, uh, it was the also place where the Nashville Student Movement, as Mark was talking about, was founded. There's a lot of history here. Obviously, Memphis, uh, Tennessee has its own dark history in the history of the Civil Rights Movement. But, but I think about that, and I think about the Nashville Student Movement in particular. There were members, there are other Black members in that body but they're a generation older than beyond Mark Thompson right they are a generation older and there was a lot of talk about grace like let's you know we know the young people got a little bit excited we know that they had different methods that were a little bit loud but let's have grace for them that argument of grace struck me in a very as very odd as a very odd way to talk about the stripping of democracy from 200,000 constituents and i wonder you as a young activist how that struck you that that strange sort of generational difference between Justin Jones' fire and the, this older guard sort of call for grace.
5: Well, you know, I understand a bit of the calculus, right? As as Reverend Mark was just talking about, my dear friend was just saying, there's an understanding that we are in Holy Week, even though we are watching something deeply unholy happen. There's an understanding that that kind of Bible belt, Bible thumping mentality may be an opportunity to make an appeal, an appeal on grace, an appeal on so-called forgiveness. But personally, I don't feel that there's any forgiveness necessary because nothing wrong was done. The only wrong done was was the continued inaction and distraction that the Tennessee GOP has been pursuing during this hearing before now and what they'll continue to do after now. Look, there is a clear call from young people and older people all across this nation who recognize that every single place in this country should be safe, especially the places where we send our children to learn. Joy, you know I have a 15-month-year-old and I'm so deeply concerned every day for the future and the present that I'm sending him into, worried every day about when he should start school, when he should start daycare, because I never know when I'm going to pick up the phone or open my email and get that message that there is an active shooter on his campus. So really the question that I have and that I heard others in that chamber ask, that I heard the Tennessee Three ask is why are you not outraged? Why is your concern decorum instead of the life of innocent children? Why is your outrage not palpable? Why why were you not here in the well with us we should all be outraged that there's a clear solution to diminish, gun, to diminish gun violence and mass shootings in this country by banning assault weapons and not only does the GOP across the country refuse to do that they stand in active way of that happening and take it so far as to silence the voices of the constituents and the representatives who want to see that happen. So quite frankly yes there can be a gap and I understand the calculus of asking for that grace but really we should be embarrassed the folks who are not outraged by this, because it is absolutely outrageous.
2: Yeah, uh, let me let me play really quickly. This is Gloria Johnson, because there was a difference between the way that at least the first two of these representatives were treated. Here is Gloria Johnson explaining in her own words why she thinks she survived when her colleague uh, Justin Jones did not.
3: Why do you feel
5: like there was a difference in the outcome between you and your colleague?
2: (laughs) I will answer your question. It might have to do with the color of our skin. Let me uh, bring in uh, NBC's Priscilla Thompson, our heroic uh, reporter who did help to make sure that we got Justin Jones earlier. And I want to thank you for that. I'm going to just bring you in here. Did, I don't know if you were able to talk to any of the Republican members and if they had some explanation as to why they decided to spare Gloria Johnson, the only white member of the Tennessee Three, uh, and expel uh, expeditiously Justin Jones while not even finishing full debate. They actually cut off debate in order to get to it.
6: Yeah, we have not been able to speak to any of the Republican lawmakers yet. They're expected to speak after all of this wraps up today. And that's certainly going to be one of the questions that we are going to be asking. I will tell you that people in this crowd here are echoing uh, the feeling that Representative Johnson shared, which is, was this something that happens because of race? And of course, Republicans here have said that that is not the case, that this is about decorum. But it does pose the question when you have one black man that has been expelled, and one non-black uh, woman, uh, white woman, that has not been uh, expelled. And you heard Representative Jones in there calling uh, this a political lynching. He has talked, of, he accused Republicans of trying to treat him like a uppity Negro, someone who needed to be put in uh, his place. And so those questions are certainly uh, swirling here as we wait to see what the fate of Representative Pearson will ultimately uh, be. But that is certainly not lost upon people here. Here as these protesters continue to stay here and see how all this is play is going to play out. They have been here since early this morning chanting and making sure that their voices are heard even from outside the chamber as they seek to stand in solidarity uh, with these lawmakers joy
2: yeah thank you priscilla thompson thank you appreciate it wave your hands if anything happens that you think we need to know about we definitely will bring you back let me get bring back uh, uh go back to mark uh and uh Brittany. um let me play uh justin pearson the other justin we haven't heard him because we've been on air but he's speaking now but let me play a clip of what he's had to say justin pearson
7: there's been a refrain and a song going around in this movement Power to the people, power to the people, power to the people, but there is something that tells me it is not uh, the rules being broken, it was what we were advocating for that folks have gotten very upset about, that we were advocating for people who have been murdered in our communities.
2: Mark Thompson, I feel, you know, I, you know, I'm working on a Medgar Evers project right now, and I feel like, you know, 1963 was such a year of pain and tragedy uh, in the civil rights movement. It was the year that Medgar Evers was assassinated, but his, you know, his offense— even according to the NAACP he worked for at the national level, was that he wanted to empower the young people, that he wanted to side with them when they wanted to do sit-ins and they wanted to do a Birmingham-style movement the way that they saw SNCC and other movements that growing up, that he wanted to support that. And there was this sense that the young people were out of control. The young people didn't want to patiently wait and allow segregation to continue. They wanted it over now. They wanted freedom now. And this was disruptive. It feels like Tennessee has decided to go back there. Like they, they they just rather go ahead and be in 1963 again, because what I saw in that body was a, a a throwback in the same way they're doing in Florida to try to throw back to an era when young black folks had no power. But they seem, in my mind, to have empowered those three, those Tennessee three, more than they disempowered them.
4: I, I would agree with you. But even on the generational piece and just hearing my brother, Justin, Pearson Singh, I mean, he's invoking some of our history. So he gets the generational aspect and does not shun our past, our ancestry. But what's interesting, when you talk about 60 years ago, many of the young people that the NAACP was angry and mega about obviously look like the three of us. But upstairs in this rotunda, the majority of young people, it's the majority of young people and the majority of those young people are, in fact, white And so for Priscilla to acknowledge that this discussion about race and how Gloria Johnson got a pass is even permeating among them is significant. This is a bigger movement. This is black and white and brown and, and every and red every group of people, because people are sick of us losing our young people, losing our old people to this gun violence. The governor of this state signed the open carry law at the Beretta plant at the Beretta headquarters here in Tennessee. That's appalling. So they embrace this type of gun violence. They don't want to do anything about it. And so they're going to punish those who are going to stand against it.
2: Yeah, as I said earlier on the Cole show, they just want everyone, these young folks, to just shut up and die, and just accept that you can meet death at school, at the Walmart, at church. You're just going to have to shut up and accept that you may die at any moment because we love these guns more than we love you, Uh, Brittany Packnett Cunningham. I know that you also are a former teacher, Um, and so I would love for you to just talk in this moment about this willingness, this sort of open willingness, as Mark was just saying of these lawmakers to ignore the tragedy that just happened. You know, I, I don't even know that the burials have been have taken place for these six people who died in an elementary school. And this body is so I- I eager to get about the business of expelling people, expanding gun ownership, banning drag shows they, they, as if there is nothing they can do to keep their own constituents alive. And if you try to keep them alive, you got to go.
5: I mean, Joy, you just hit the nail on the head, right? That this talk of decorum was an intentional and purposeful distraction from Evelyn and Mike and William and Catherine and Cynthia and Hallie, the six people who were just massacred in their state. Six people who represent families and neighborhoods and communities that are supposed to be represented with love and care by those who sit in that chamber. But instead, they use decorum as a distraction not just because they don't want to uh, do anything about it or they can't do anything about it, but because the money that lines their pockets does not allow them to do anything about it. When you are bought and sold by the NRA, you're not particularly going to put yourself in a position that would stop these kinds of massacres. And frankly, this is not the first kind of massacre we've seen of children. I remember thinking after Sandy Hook that if this did not transform gun control across this country, then we are not going to turn back now, unfortunately. That if the massacre of those children was not enough, then the massacre of any children would not be enough. And as a former teacher, I remember teaching my third graders in Washington, D.C. about Dr. King, about the importance of justice, about the importance of doing um, what what Representative Pearson talked about, ensuring that the movement for justice doesn't die because you can't kill the heart for justice. I also remember teaching them what Dr. King said about the wearing... Uh, being aware rather of those who are more committed to order than they are to justice. Mm. That's exactly what we've seen in this chamber today. And that commitment to order is a shield to make sure that their pockets stay lined Mm. and that their real constituents, the NRA and the gun lobby stay happy with that.
2: Amen. And then Mark, and then they will go to church on Easter Sunday and pretend to be holy, knowing in their hearts that they have lost control of their children. Because to your point that you made, Mark, Those little woke people outside of there are young. They are white. And that is the reason they don't want history taught in our schools, because they have lost control of their children because their children are smart enough to want to live. Your thoughts. I'm going to give you the last word, uh, Reverend, because it's almost Easter.
4: Amen. Well, good to see you as always. We're just going to have to continue this fight. Hopefully, Justin will survive this vote. Honestly, I doubt it also because of the color of his skin. But it is an, an utter contradiction uh, to want to maintain decorum over wanting to prevent death. And that's exactly what these individuals are doing. And you're right, not only Sunday will they go to church, tomorrow will will mourn um, the crucifixion of Christ. But here again, three people today tried, uh, and one of them convicted. We'll see about the other. But for literally doing nothing wrong, but... Preaching the gospel of of peace and nonviolence. and I
2: I think we have lost Mark. Yes, we have lost him. But I will just uh, close on his behalf by saying it is apostasy. It is apostasy to call yourself a Christian and claim that you believe in God and you believe in Jesus when what you believe in is death. What you believe in is distributing as much death as possible to as many people as possible, even your own children, because you don't love them like you love firearms. You don't love them like you love the NRA. Don't go to church on Sunday and put, uh, you know, your, your money in the basket, hoping that it will grow, uh, and, and as a seed and multiply, because literally all you are multiplying Republican party is death. And eventually you're also going to multiply your own destruction because those young people are going to figure out one day, that they can vote you out. They're going to vote you out. Your own children are going to vote you out. Watch it happen. Uh, watch God work. Reverend Mark Thompson, Brittany Packnett Cunningham, thank you. We'll be keeping an eye on the Tennessee legislature as we await the vote to expel Representative Justin Pearson. We will bring that to you. If it happens in our hour, we'll go right back to it. But first, new reporting. It's just the corruption keeps going. New reporting exposes the depths of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas' shameless Hideous corruption. More after this.
5: It's Monday night.
4: Now, a question. What have Herbert Hoover, Art Linkletter, Jack London, and Richard Nixon all had in common? Well, they've all been members of the exclusive all-male Bohemian Club in California, where every year at this time, the elite from around the country get together for two and a half weeks of uh, fun and games. President
0: Reagan, Vice President Bush, and Defense Secretary Weinberger are members of other camps. Richard Nixon is a Bohemian. For the most part, the men of Bohemian Grove are over 50, highly successful, and, according to many employees, politically conservative.
2: There is a reality in America. We have a super elite, an oligarchy that makes their own rules and then makes different rules for the rest of us. In many cases, these are the people who make the laws and the ones who interpret them. They are so set apart from us that we barely understand how they operate. But we are learning more about the corruption in their ranks. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas Who's mostly known for his scandalous sexual harassment allegations, notoriously involving coke cans, and for his wife being an aspiring insurrectionist. Well, he has been revealed to be utterly corrupt, according to new reporting from ProPublica. It found that for more than two decades, Justice Thomas has accepted luxury vacations nearly every year from Republican billionaire mega donor Harlan Crow. And apparently he failed to report them on his financial disclosure forms, as he is required to do. That resort that I showed you, Bohemian Grove, is just one of Crow's hangout spots that Thomas reportedly enjoyed at no cost. There were also lavish trips to Indonesia, New Zealand, California, Texas, and a nearly annual trip to Crow's private resort in the Adirondacks. And Thomas wasn't flying business class. Oh, no. He reportedly traveled on Crow's 162-foot superyacht in a private jet. ProPublica reports that one trip in 2019 involved a nine-day island-hopping tour around Indonesia using both the private jet and the superyacht. If Thomas had chartered that transportation himself, the trip would have cost him more than half a million dollars. Crow has long supported efforts to move the judiciary to the right and contributed more than $10 million in publicly disclosed political contributions, according to ProPublica. Crow claims that he and his wife have never discussed a pending or lower court case with Thomas. But there's also the question about those closest to Crow who were also given such unique access to the Supreme Court justice, like Crow's corporate executive and political activist friends. For example, at Crow's private resort in the Adirondacks is this painting showing Thomas in conversation with Leonard Leo, the former leader of the Federalist Society who played a crucial role in Donald Trump's makeover of the federal bench. And let's remember, Thomas is one of six people who stripped the right to an abortion away from some 200 million women. This is the person who telegraphed that he would do the same with the rights of the LGBTQ community, as well as the right to contraception. And this person's arrogance is also illegal. (laughs) While Supreme Court justices do not have to live by the same code of ethical conduct as every other judge in this country, they do have to disclose the gifts that they receive. And it appears that Thomas has just flagrantly not done that. While there has been some ambiguity about exceptions to the disclosures for personal hospitality, you know, like a a friend inviting you to their personal vacation home, it clearly indicates, quote, transportation that substitutes for commercial transportation is not exempt. Like, you know, say a private plane or a super yacht. Even Supreme Court justices are not completely above the law, even though they might think that they are. And with all that said, Clarence Thomas has also presented himself to the American people in a much different way. You will be surprised to hear what he has said about his preferences when he goes on vacation. That is next.
4: You know, I don't have any problem with going to Europe, but I prefer the United States and I prefer seeing the regular parts of the United States. I prefer going across the rural areas. I prefer the RV parks. I prefer the Walmart parking lots to the beaches and things like that. There's something normal to me about it. I come from regular stock, and I prefer that. I prefer being around that.
2: Really, Clarence, do you now? Yeah, that's right. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas wants you to believe that he's the everyman who prefers to vacation in Walmart parking lots rather than in more lavish locales. Because who doesn't enjoy spending their downtime at the save money, live better store? Joining me now is Mark Joseph Stern, senior writer for Slate. Oh, uh, the indignity of having to watch Clarence Thomas pretend to be a normal person. Uh, you, let's go into this because... On the one hand, it's kind of comical that Clarence Thomas is such a phony and a fraud. But on the other hand, it also might be illegal. Uh, Talk to us about this. We saw your thread earlier talking about the fact that he's taking these lavish trips actually could be a crime.
0: Absolutely. So I think that Clarence Thomas here is showing that he is so far above the law that nothing is beneath him. As you said, he is taking these lavish vacations, taking his friend's private jet around the country, going on super yacht cruises. And there is, in fact, a code of ethics that applies to the Supreme Court. It's not nearly as comprehensive as it should be, but it requires them to report gifts that they receive above a certain dollar threshold. And that includes gifts that Would cost a lot of money if the justice were paying. Uh, Now, this rule excludes hospitality and it seems that Thomas was refusing to disclose any of this luxury stuff, any of these flights and vacations because he deemed them to be hospitality. But as I wrote with Dolly Lithwick, that's just ridiculous. You know, this is a federal statute and a federal regulation that says hospitality means food, lodging, and entertainment. Mm -hmm. That does not encompass a private flight on your friend's jet around the country or around the world. He had a legal obligation to report each and every one of these gifts that's detailed in the ProPublica report. He did not report a single one. And for each annual disclosure that excluded these trips, he could theoretically be fined $50,000 and get in a lot of trouble. But of course, because he's a justice, he assumes he's not going to get in trouble at all.
2: Right. And and the thing is, Clarence Thomas has a history of kind of telling on himself with his rulings about his inner corruption. These are some of the cases in which he objected to the idea of being accountable. There was a case in 2009 called Caperton v. Massey that involved a litigant who spent $3 million to help elect a West Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals Justice and then voted to reverse a $50 million damage award against that same justice. Uh, he dissented according along with Scalia, Alito, and Roberts. Um, he also dissented in another case, Citizens United, which we all can remember, um, that reversed the century-old campaign finance restriction. That was a case that he was for. He didn't dissent in that one. He was for Citizens United basically to let money flood into our system. There's another case called McDonald versus the United States. The Supreme Court unanimously overturned a jury's corruption conviction of the Republican governor named Bob McDonald. uh, And it set a new standard for official bribery cases that is so absurdly narrow, it will likely be almost impossible to convict any but the most bumbling politicians for the crime. So he's been for it to say nothing of Ginny Thomas, his wife being a tea partier and her original tea party organization being funded by this same billionaire that took him on vacation. It it feels like his corruption is so thorough and his wife's. It's almost mind boggling.
0: It's almost overwhelming. And what we see from this ProPublica report is that he has this network of billionaire friends and political advisors who simultaneously provide him with these extraordinary gifts and essentially cash infusions into his lifestyle and protect him from facing any consequences. You know, one of the guys in that ridiculous painting that you showed is Mark Paoletta, a longtime fixer for Ginny and Clarence Thomas. Just last year, he went before Congress and said, oh, don't impose a strict code of ethics on the Supreme Court. They don't need it. Well, I wonder why he thinks that. Could it be because he's taking yacht trips around the globe with Clarence Thomas and gets to do so because Thomas thinks he's exempt from any ethics rules? You know, once you start to connect the dots here, you see how this is a network of corruption, and all of these guys, and they are mostly men, really think that they are totally above the law because of their connection to a
1: justice.
2: Yeah, and you have to wonder. I mean, this guy was born in Pinpoint, Georgia. I guess he said, "I'm never going to be hungry again. I'm just going to fly in private." private jets for the rest of my life. Mark Joseph Stern. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. I do want to let our, our audience know we're going to go back to Tennessee because Justin Pearson is beginning his closing before the vote likely to expel him. Take a listen.
7: Faith and hope and the belief in the democracy of the United States of America. How is it that you still have hope, you descendant of enslaved people? How is it that you still have hope? Well, it's because Even from the bottom of slave ships, my people didn't quit. Even in cotton fields and rice fields, my people didn't quit. Even when they were whipped and chained and told they had no name, my people didn't quit. Even when they incarcerated us, locked us up for a crack cocaine epidemic created by President Ronald Reagan to fund a war in South America, my people didn't quit even when they defunded our schools, separated us and called us colored and white, even when they put us on lynching trees in the state of Tennessee, specifically in Shelby County, my people didn't quit. Even now, as our own brothers and sisters laid a rest because of the failure of people in positions of power to do something. Because people are refusing to pass just laws, to end the epidemic of gun violence in the state of Tennessee. My people have yet to quit. And so even now, amidst this vote, amidst this persecution, I remember the good news. Hallelujah, Jesus. I remember that on Friday, the government decided that my Savior, Jesus a man that was innocent of all crimes except fighting for the poor, fighting for the marginalized, fighting for the LGBTQ community, fighting for those who are single mothers, fighting for those who are ostracized, fighting for those pushed to the periphery. My, my savior, my black Jesus, he was lynched by the government on Friday, and they thought that all hope had been lost. Oh, the, 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 the outside, it rained and it thundered and, and everybody said everything was over. And it was some black women who stood at the cross. It was some black women who watched what the government did to that boy named Jesus. They were witnesses as you have been witnesses to what is happening in the anti-democratic state of Tennessee. They were witnesses to what was going on. And I got to tell you, it got quiet on Saturday yes i tell you it was a sad day on saturday all hope seemed to be lost representatives were thrown out of the state house democracy seemed to be at its end seemed like the nra and gun lobbyists might win but oh that was good news for us i don't know how long this saturday in the state of tennessee might last But oh, we have good news, folks. We've got good news that Sunday always comes. Resurrection is a promise. And it is a prophecy. It's a prophecy that came out of the cotton fields. It's a prophecy that came out of the lynching tree. It's a prophecy that still lives in each and every one of us in order to make the state of Tennessee the place that it ought to be. and So I've still got hope because I know we are still here and we will never quit.
0: Out of order.
4: Out of order. We're voting on House Resolution 63. All those in favor, vote aye when the bell rings. Those opposed, vote no. Has every member voted? Does any member wish to change their vote?
2: That was uh, the vote to expel represent- Tennessee representative, Tennessee state representative Justin Pearson after he preached a whole sermon. Uh, and I will note that that Justin Jones that you saw on the screen, that was not us. That was not MSNBC. Not only did this state legislature vote out Justin Pearson, a duly elected state representative who was elected by more than 70,000 constituents, they couldn't even get his name right. They confused Justin Jones for Justin Pearson and put the wrong name up. That was the feed that we were taking from Tennessee. So we had the right name up. That was Justin Pearson. If you all are going to do wrong and you're going to do evil, please at least get these brothers' names right. They're two different people. Learn to tell them apart. You're telling on yourself. Racism is alive and well in the state where the Ku Klux Klan was born. Lord Jesus, right before Easter. And that is tonight's readout. Tennessee State Representative Gloria Johnson will join me tomorrow.